Welcome to episode 14 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today, we are going to start a new series on the women of the Bible, which is one of my favorite topics. I love talking about how God uses women in the Bible. And before we start, I actually want to give a special thanks to Aaron, Casey, and Maddie, who are my friends. And also, during COVID times, you know, pandemic times, we would get on Zoom once a week to chat about women of the Bible, understanding them on a deeper level, and really grappling with the tough questions about women's roles, how God uses women, etc., etc. So, big thank you to them before we begin. Today, we're going to start with the story of Hannah because she's actually one of my favorites, and also because I don't think she's given enough credit and love when we're talking about really important people in the Bible. I think she's kind of rarely talked about in church. So I just wanted to highlight her story because I think it's really awesome, and God uses her in incredible ways, and also she's just so human and so relatable in a lot of levels. So let's go ahead and dive deep and learn more about Hannah today. Hey, Millennial. Welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Catherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's Word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at Scripture beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate creator and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. Lord, thank you so much that you give us the Bible to read and that you have so many stories about human beings being used for your purpose. Thank you that you use women, that you use Hannah specifically in this story to bring about incredible things for Israel and led to even more incredible things in the future, like the coming of Jesus. You use people who are the least likely to be used by the world standards. And we love you for that, Lord. And I pray that every woman here would be encouraged by the story of Hannah and that we would place our hope and faith in you, even when things seem really dismal and dark and you are so intimate and close to us in our grief and in our pain. And I thank you for that, Lord. Please open up our ears to listen and our hearts to absorb. In Jesus' name, amen. Hannah's story occurs in 1 Samuel 1 and 1 Samuel 2. She's not mentioned again in the rest of the Bible. So these are our only references to her. And what we're going to do today is go ahead and read all of 1 Samuel and most of 2 Samuel, the parts that are applicable to her story. And we're going to talk about her attributes and also what we can learn about God through her story, because that's really, really important to connecting with him is learning more about who God is. So I need to give you a little bit of context here in case you're not familiar with the story of Hannah or First and Second Samuel, let me give you a little bit of background first. So in the Bible, First and Second Samuel come together right after the book of Ruth, which is a short book about four, yeah, four chapters, and that comes after the book of Judges. So it goes Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel. And Judges, that was a time in the Israelites' history where they were basically ruled somewhat by a series of judges that God had appointed. 
And they were not kings, but basically God would communicate with the judges and give them discernment, wisdom, and the ability to give his message to the Israelites in order for the Israelites to know what God had for them and the ways that God wanted them to behave or do whatever it is they were supposed to do. They didn't have a king, but Hannah is actually the mother of the last judge of Israel, which is Samuel. So Samuel, he's going to be the last judge of Israel before God starts to appoint kings instead. And God does that because the Israelites ask for kings because they wanted to be like other nations, which was not the point of God being their king. But anyways, I digress. God is going to use Samuel to actually anoint Saul and later David, the first and second king of Israel. And Samuel is actually a really, really important guy. And he is a judge, a priest. He advises the kings. He guides the people. He is very faithful to the Lord. And at the time of his birth, Eli is actually the current judge and the current high priest of Israel. But the problem with Eli is that his sons were doing like tons of evil things. And so basically Eli's family legacy is going to be snuffed out by God because his sons were doing wicked things. Like they were violating God's rules for offerings and sacrifices for their own personal gain. And they were also seducing women who had been working in the temple. So the future of Israel at the point that the story begins is really not looking too good. We've got Eli as the high priest and judge, and we have his sons not doing a good job. God is not happy with them. And actually God is not happy with Eli because Eli does not correct his sons. He kind of like slaps them on the wrist at one point, but he doesn't actually try to, you know, really get them to change their behavior. So because of that, there's going to be consequences that play out later in first Samuel. In order to examine Hannah's story though, we've got to read it. (laughs) So it's going to be story time. Cozy up, my friends. I'm straight up going to read. I did listen to the Version app, you know, the where you can um, have it read it to you so that I could see how to pronounce the names at the beginning here. So here's hoping, you know, that the app was right and also that I practiced enough because who knows if that's true. Um, but if I butcher the names, I apologize. First Samuel 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Verse 9. Once after a sacrificial meeting at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. 
and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I have not been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed, when she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. Verse 19. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, Wait until the boy is weaned. Then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his entire life. And they worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumble are now strong. Those who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among priests, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to the king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. Verse 11. Then Elkanah returned home to Ramah without Samuel and the boy served the Lord by assisting Eli the priest. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 18 because there's a section in here that talks about how Eli's sons were wicked, but I've already kind of mentioned that, and it's not really Hannah's story. 
Verse 18, But Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. He wore a linen garment like that of a priest. Each year his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one she gave to the Lord. And the Lord blessed Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. All right, that's the end of Hannah's story. She's not mentioned again. So let's take a second here to talk about what are some of the attributes of Hannah. What can we learn about Hannah and how she interacted with God and other people and how she was as a person? Well, I think the first thing that really stood out to me is that Hannah was not afraid to express her sorrow and her grief. She was in a favored position for the most part. She was the favorite wife and probably the first wife of her husband. And we know that because when they're first being introduced, she is mentioned first and then Penina is mentioned after. So because of that, it's likely that Hannah was his first wife. And also it's very clear that Elkinah loves her. Penina has a hard time with this because obviously it's hard for her that her husband loves Hannah more. However, that doesn't justify her just completely torturing Hannah and being super mean to her, but it does show us that Penina has some issues that she needs to work out with God as well. I just want to mention that, but let's focus again on Hannah. Hannah has some really deep sorrow, and her deep sorrow was born out of her grief that she was not able to have children. She had a desire to have children, and she was not physically able to do so. Now, we don't know why she wanted children. It might just be because she wanted to have a child and that was the desire of her heart. It might have also been for cultural reasons. It could have been because of things like Penina making fun of her and basically she was going to be treated in a lower position than other women because in this time, women gained a lot of status by having children. So because she wasn't able to do that, it made her lower on a societal standard. So it could also be for that reason. It could be a mix of reasons. We're not told by scripture, so I don't want to definitively say why she wanted children. We do know, however, that the inability to have children deeply affects her. And I love that she's not afraid to express that sorrow and grief over being made fun of and also over just wanting to have children. When Penina makes fun of her and and says mean things about her, she cries. She stops eating. She has a deep emotional response to being reminded or being looked down upon because she doesn't have any children. And it's clear that she's crying in front of her husband because he realizes that she's upset and actually says something to her. What he says to her is like uh, mixed reviews, but um, (laughs) I'll talk about that later. But she also cries openly in the tabernacle. She goes into the house of the Lord and cries out to him. It says in verse 10 of 1 Samuel, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And this is such a good reminder that we can bring our raw emotions to God, regardless of what other people are going to think of us. And even though her husband did not understand her clearly, and even though Eli misinterpreted her, Hannah was still comfortable in the knowledge that God would not misunderstand her and that God would deeply understand her grief and her her sorrow. And she brings that before God. And it's a wonderful reminder that God is open-armed. He wants us to come to him with this deep grief and sorrow. And there is nothing biblical about hiding your grief and sorrow. 
There's nothing that says you have to pretend to be okay just because you're a Christian. It doesn't say that. (laughs) We have emotions just like everybody else. We have deep grief and things that disappoint us and make us sad. And we can be honest about those things. And especially we be honest before the Lord with those things. We can go to other people. We can be honest about where we're at. We don't have to fake it and pretend like we're okay when we're actually really not. I love that about Hannah. All right. Got excited about that one. Number two, Hannah knows when to be silent and when to speak up. So she's got discernment and she's got wisdom. Now, the Bible does not say that she talked back to Penina when Penina was being her tormentor and saying mean things about her. It doesn't say that she talked back to her. Um, So I'm going to assume that she didn't. Penina clearly had her own issues. She had to work out with God that she was clearly not as loved by her husband. And that's that's really sad. I'm not saying like Penina had it easy, but she also should not have acted this way towards Hannah. Hannah's not responding to this. She is quiet, but she still has, even though she doesn't say words, she still has an emotional response. And she's able to talk to her husband about that and later bring these before God. But she doesn't come back at Penina and say something super mean in response. That's not her response. And again, I also want to point out that when her husband tries to like comfort her when she's crying, by the way, I think he does kind of a horrible job. Um, He's called in most of the commentaries I looked up. They're like, oh, he's so empathetic and sympathetic. I actually don't super agree with that. I think absolutely it's clear to me that he loved her. He loved her. It's mentioned that he loves her. He definitely did love his wife. But I do think even though he attempts to be empathetic, I don't think he's really there because his response is pretty unhelpful and actually pretty self-centered. He's like, just be satisfied that you have me and my love. He's not really seeing her grief. He's not really seeing what the issue is. He just tries to like kind of go in and fix it with something that's not going to be very helpful to her. In response to that, though, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't come back at him with anger and frustration. Again, she knows when to not talk back. Instead, who does she go to? She goes to God. She goes to God with her grief, the God who is actually going to understand her. The last instance I wanted to mention is she also does know when to speak up. And I see this when she's talking to Eli, the high priest. Now, here she is pouring her heart out to God. And Eli thinks she's drunk and basically calls her out. He's like, don't come in here drunk. Like he's kind of mad is how I read it, or at least frustrated that she is coming in there drunk. She's not really, but that's how what he thinks is happening. And here he is, the high priest and judge of Israel, a male in a very high leadership role in Israel. And she doesn't just bow out and walk away. She actually challenges him. She says she challenges a male authority figure, but she does it respectfully. She just tells him like, oh, that's not true. I'm not drunk. And then she explains what what was happening. She explains her situation. She does it respectfully. Eli is corrected and he actually says God will grant her request. Incredible. She knew to speak up in that situation, but she doesn't do it in like a mean or vengeful way, even though what he was accusing her of was pretty rude. No, she she responds with respect and corrects him. So I thought that was really interesting. I like that. Okay, third, Hannah is strong. After Samuel is born, her family is going off on their annual trip to Shiloh. 
And she tells her husband that she will wait to give Samuel to the Lord until he is weaned. And her husband just agrees with her. But she's, interestingly enough, just like telling him. And I think there's something about Hannah that people listen to. I don't think she always spoke up. But I think when she did, people listened because the high priest listened to her, Eli, and also Elkanah listened to her. He listens to his wife and he just agrees with her. Like, okay, that makes sense. Like, let's wait until he's weaned. He doesn't argue with her or try to correct her or say, I will decide. He just agrees with her. I think also Hannah is strong in that she is able to give up her miracle baby before she knows that God's going to give her more. She doesn't know if this will be the only child she ever has, but she made a promise to God and she follows through. And I think that is why God chooses her to be the mother of Samuel. This is so powerful. God chooses her not because of her high position, not because society viewed her so highly and often they probably wouldn't because she didn't have any children yet. He didn't choose her for those reasons. I think he chose her for her heart, that she would follow through on her promise and give Samuel to God because Samuel is going to be fulfilling such an important role in Israel. And if Hannah hadn't given him up, if she hadn't been willing to follow through on her promise, that wouldn't have been Samuel's life. He probably would have grown up in her household instead of growing up with Eli, the high priest, if God had just given her her child when she had initially wanted him instead of waiting until she had made that promise. I think Hannah is strong in that she's able to face her critics and her enemies. Hannah's prayer says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. So here she's really clear that her strength actually comes from God. It, it doesn't come from within herself. It comes because she placed her trust in God and knows that he will make her strong. And he gives her the ability to have an answer for her enemies, the ones who had criticized her and said horrible things about her. She rejoices because God rescued her from the situation she was in. And she gives him the credit. Number four, Hannah keeps her promise to God. Like I just said, she promises to dedicate her son to a lifetime in God's service. A lifetime. That means that Samuel is not going to grow up in her home. He's going to grow up in the tabernacle with Eli being his instructor, and she only gets to see him once a year. She knows that, and she dedicates him, and she fulfills her promise anyway. And her promise to God and her follow-through on that promise allows Samuel to become just a crazy important leader in Israel. And it allows a broader chain of events to occur in the history of Israel, God uses her. Yes, she only appears in first and a little bit of second Samuel. Yes, that's a pretty minor role in the overall Bible, but God uses her in a very significant way to set in place a chain of events that leads ultimately to Jesus because her son anoints King David and is used by God in that way. Fifth, Hannah has an intimate relationship with God. I love that she prays in her grief. She goes before God and tells him what's on her heart. She worships him. She offers sacrifices to him. She has this lovely prayer of praise. And she displays such a deep understanding of who God is in that prayer. She talks about God's character and how he acts. And not only does she recognize his power and the way that he has acted in her life, but he al she also understands how God works 
in some on some level. She doesn't understand everything, but she talks about how God kind of flips things around. He doesn't go by the way that people think things should go. God's wisdom is not the same as the world's wisdom, and Hannah has a grasp of that. Number six, Hannah, maybe, is a prophetess. And I say maybe because there seems to be, you know, some debate about this. I think primarily the debate is centered on the fact that she's a woman more than them thinking that it was not so much a prophecy, but that's just kind of my sassy opinion. Take it for what it is. But where I get this from is in the last verse of her prayer of praise. In verse 10, she says, this is talking about God. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. Look, at this time, as I mentioned before, there is no king of Israel. There are judges and there are priests, but there is no king of Israel. She's talking about the future king. And some people say that that's a reference to King David, who is coming soon. You know, her son anoints Saul and then later anoints King David. And some say it's actually a reference to our forever king, which is Jesus, the descendant of King David. You can decide on that one. But to me, she's clearly talking about a a future king here. And whether it's David or Jesus, she's still talking about the future. All right, so let's switch from talking about Hannah to talking about what are some things we can learn about God through Hannah's story. I think for me, the biggest thing that stands out is that our lives are actually really in God's hand. God holds our entire future and our entire lives in his hands. It says specifically that he made Hannah barren and later that he opened her womb, which is a gross way of saying he made her able to have a child. In 1 Samuel 5, it says that the Lord had given her no children. And then later, God is the one who blesses her with children after her prayer, saying that she'll dedicate her son to God. Verse 19 says, The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. So friends, whether we like it or not, and oftentimes it's not, God is in control. And whatever we're going through, whatever it is, no matter how hard it is, how easy it is, whatever, God has his reasons for what we're going through. I know that sounds like a cliche, like, oh, God has a reason for everything, or there's a reason for everything. But it's actually really true, and you can see it in the story of Hannah. God didn't give her a son for a while, and she suffered and struggled and had grief because of it. And then her heart changed, and she was willing to give the Lord her son, and he was going to use that son for the future of Israel. Would Samuel have been dedicated to the Lord and become a priest if not for Hannah's suffering, if not for having to go through this? I don't know the answer to that. Only God knows. But I do want to say that God wastes nothing. Whatever experience we're going through, whatever season of life we're in, it's not wasted. God used her sacrifice. He used it. And she sacrificed in many ways, grief over not having a child. And then once she had a child, I'm sure she had grief over having to not see him most of the year, not being able to have the joy of raising him. But God wastes nothing. He used her sacrifice for the good of Israel. And that can be really, really hard to us in the moment. We don't know what God is using it for. And sometimes we don't get to see that fruit in our lifetime. I know nothing about what happens to Hannah after this. 
Maybe she got to see the man her son became, and maybe she didn't. But God used her anyways. Second thing, God remembers, loves, and uses women. He used Hannah to produce Samuel, like I said, a great judge and priest for Israel. And Israel desperately needed one because Eli's sons were so corrupt and so it's described as they were so wicked. Also, God loved Hannah and gave her more children. I'm not saying that took the place of Samuel. I'm not saying she didn't still have grief over not being able to see him most of the year. But I am saying that God never promised her more children, but he kept providing them for her. He opened up the floodgates for her. He gave her five more children, three more sons and two daughters. And him withholding a child for a season of her life was not for lack of loving her. If you're in a season where you feel like God is not giving you something, it is not because he doesn't love you. If you struggle with infertility, it is not because God doesn't love you. God absolutely loves you. And I don't know the reasons for any of the things basically that God does, but I am saying that he doesn't withhold things from us because he doesn't love us. He loves you, period. And sometimes things are going to go differently than how we want them to go. And that is deeply painful for us. And we can bring that pain before the Lord. The third thing, the ways of the world are not God's ways. What he values and his economy and the way that he sees the world is not the same as the way we see the world. What we consider worldly wisdom, what we consider to be good practices is not always how God sees things. We need to listen to Hannah's wisdom here. I'm going to read her prayer one more time. There's a lot of wisdom in the things that she says, in the way that she can see the way that God works. So here's her prayer one more time. My heart rejoices in the Lord, for the Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows what you have done, and he will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who are well-fed are now starving, and those who are starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king and increases the strength of his anointed one. So remember that ultimately God's in control and he lifts up those who are in weak and vulnerable positions and he uses them in incredible ways. So if you're in a weak and a vulnerable position right now, don't discount yourself. God can use you. And the way of the world are not God's ways. His ways are more 
complex, they're higher, they're more thoughtful, they're incredible. And it requires a degree of trust on our end. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much that we can rely on you and count on you for everything that we need. Thank you that you show up for us, that you use us as women, that you remember and love us so deeply. I pray that you would use every woman here for your specific purpose and that we would worship you with our whole hearts and that we would give you and dedicate all of our lives to you. Everything that you require, I pray that we'd be willing to give up. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining. I'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.